it's always good to be here in this place. You know why? Every person is learning a language. <laughs> and so for me, it was always a very welcoming place, even with my Dutch accent, and it always works out well. And I'm happy that we are together here. So it's hard when you have to read in someone else's language. Um, I want to introduce you to one person, and that is a person that's called after Cory ten Boom, and her name is Cory. And I asked her to come this morning and to be a part of this very important time. Corey, will you stand up? Good. Thank you. Corey had all kinds of things called after her. One day we caught a nice picture from a bulldog, and that family called their dog Corey. That dog is not here. <laughs> so. Psalm 91 was Corey's very favorite psalm. And so many times I asked people, do you know anything about Corey ten Boom? And they would say, mm, yeah, I, Corey ten Boom. I've heard, I think my grandmother knew about her. Yes, that's right. Your grandmother knew about her because your grandmother was Corey's age. And it is a wonderful thing that today I am here and just to tell you and to give you a little bit of Corrie ten Boom's life to encourage you if you don't have a book The Hiding Place, if you have never seen the movie, then this season, Emmanuel, God be with us, that you will go and get that book and share it with your street. It's much more important than all the presents that you're going to give to everyone. Where shall I start? I would like to start with the ending but then I'm afraid that I don't tell anything about Cory ten Boom. So yesterday I read to my dear friend my story about the clock, and after I read it this morning several times more, um, I figured out I'm going to read it to the end. And there is the clock, and I have now 18 minutes. Thank you, Dr. Tennant. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, dear chaplain. You are the dearest. And we, I am very thankful, you know why? Every day when chapel is on, I get a call from this place and said, time to turn on, you can hear chapel. So I have heard many of the chapels this last couple of months. Thank you so much, whoever is responsible. Thank you very, very much. I'd like to read, first of all, from Matthew 24. Five, verse 24. And this is why I'm giving the clock to this place or loan it. I don't know what ends up. You say loan, but you know, I'm 75 on my way, 76. I mean, the clock is going to tick somewhere. And so <laughs> I figure out, I give it to a place that will be honored with it and will care for the place and care for the clock and knows the story. So Bob and I, we say loan, but we have no idea what it is. My children, one child is in South Africa, and one is, I don't think, yet interested in a clock that's owned by Corrie ten Boom. So this is the most safest place. But I feel like this, this morning, and I want to speak to everyone here because you all are coming from your desk and writing and all the things you haven't done and you wish you had studied harder, and you wish you had gone to that professor and asked him for a little bit more guidance, and here you are, 
on the end of this semester. Big things. God has given you a talent. And Matthew 25 says, I was afraid, and I went and hit your talent in the ground. Here, you can have it back. Some of, our, of us have maybe one talent, and some of us have maybe 20 or three. But every talent is important because God focuses on that one talent. And I'm very grateful for that because I feel like I have that one talent right now and that is my life. And it is all that God has given to me in the last so many years that I don't waste a minute. What is my talent? I have no idea, but for today, I chose to make the clock my talent. Bob and I could have put it in our apartment, in our condominium, and to have the homeschoolers come and I tell the story. But it became too small a house for all these kids. And then we gave it away to the Holocaust Museum. And the Holocaust Museum in Richmond changed hands. And while I was here in Callis Village, we started to pray, God, what do you want to do with it? And so one morning, it was about two months before we left here, we got very clearly a guidance that we should leave the clock here. And that's what, the, that's what we did. That clock presents a vision. But first of all, I'd like to introduce you my old friend, Corrie ten Boom, heavenly person, a person that was raised by her father. Oh, fathers, take your time with your children. Father Ten Boom, I'm telling you a lot of little quick stories so you can put it in your Bible and use it. Because Father Ten Boom, every day, he would sit down with his children around the table. But in those days, children were not allowed to talk. So Papa took the time at night to go to each child's bed and sit down and just told them or listened to them. And one of the stories that came out of that little visit with Corrie ten Boom was this one. One night, they had some missionaries from mission field and they had suffered and people had been killed for their faith. And Corrie was very touched by it, but also very afraid. So here she was. Could she ask her daddy tonight all about it? Could she really ask Papa what it meant to be a martyr? And she did. She said to Daddy, Papa, I'm so afraid to be a martyr. Daddy, I don't know if I can be a martyr. Daddy, will I ever die for Jesus? And Father Ten Boom took his daughter every Monday morning to Amsterdam with his beautiful golden watch and in those days, they had to go to Amsterdam to pick up the time. That meant they had to go to the big clock, set their clock, then they got on the train back to all the people in Harlem, Holland, and then they would visit all these people and set their clocks. Life has become very easy. <laughs> and Father Ten Boom said to Tante Corrie, Corrie, when do I give you the money for the ticket for the train to Amsterdam 
when I cannot go, oh, Papa, you will give it when I go to Amsterdam, the day that I travel. And so, Corey, is that for you? If you have to suffer for Jesus, then God is going to give you the money to travel. Some of you, especially in the days that we're living, we have quite a lot of people here from countries in Africa where it is very normal to hear that their church people had been killed, that their mama and daddy had been killed. When do you get the ticket? Oh, people, you who become ministers, caregivers, soul surgers, all kinds of wonderful calls that you have. Never forget to prepare the people for the day that is the most important day in their life, that they will see Jesus. How did Cory Timboom got in the concentration camp? By prayer. Their family prayed every day, all through the generation, a generational blessing. They prayed for what would have happened with the Jewish people. What about Jerusalem, where Jews and Gentiles and Muslims living together? That family prayed every day, six times a day, can you imagine, through the ages, Lord Jesus, bless Jerusalem, bring peace to Jerusalem. Lord Jesus, hold us together until that great day. Maranatha, Jesus, come quickly. Well, the day came for the Tambon family that they were in great need. They heard about the Jewish people, that they were taken to concentration camps. But no person would believe it, just like us today, when we tell stories. We say, that's impossible. Well, it was possible, because one night, Corrie ten Boom went to a friend, a doctor, a Jewish friend, and she knocked on the door, and she was used to, do, to go there every Thursday night, when she knocked on that door and came there to put the kids to bed and to read a story. Babysitters, listen. You have a task. You are the answer to bring those children the message of Jesus. And that's what Corrie ten Boom had done, not knowing that they were really Jewish. And that night, Corrie ten Boom knocked on that door like every other Thursday. The door wasn't opened with a friendliness come in. But the doctor came outside and said, Miss ten Boom, you cannot come in tonight because we have our entire family. We caught a letter from the Gestapo that our whole entire family tomorrow has to be standing under the St. Bavo on the big marketplace in Harlem. Cory, we will never see you again. What can I do? Cory ten Boom, you are too late. Have you ever been too late for something? And that night, Cory walked back to her house and she said to the Lord, Lord, I've given my heart to you when I was a young girl. 
but today I give my life to you. What can I do? And a vision was born in Corrie's heart. She was going back to the Bayer, the shop where her family lived, and God gave her a call to save the Jewish people just in five minutes' time, like what God is going to do in all our lives in times of need, that we stand up against the darkness and ask God, what can I do in this world? And by the time Corey got home, she knew one thing, that they needed a place for the Jewish people. And they did. Corey came home and said, Papa, can we open our house for the Jewish people that they have a place of safety? Yes, child, but how? Yes, Papa, we need to build a hiding place. They did. And it would be too long a story because their clock ticks too fast. So I have to hurry up. Well, they did. They helped. They did all kinds of things. And do you know what happened? Because of their obedience to help so many people, that entire family ended up in a concentration camp and in prison. Father Tamboom, who pulled that clock, that weight, and some of your students know how to do it now, that weight was pulled by Father Tamboom the last day before he went to prison. They all got in prison. And a vision was born. I have to skip. While Corrie was in the concentration camp with her sister, her sister woke her up in the middle of the night and said, Corrie, Corrie, God is speaking to me. Oh, Betsy, God cannot speak in this place. This hell of a place. God does not speak. He doesn't waste a word here. Yes, Corrie, God spoke that we will be set free. That before Christmas, we will not be here anymore. Corey, God has told me that we are going back to Holland and that we buy a house. And that house will be a place where people can come to get healing. And Corey, we invite people from Germany who have suffered so much. And then Corey, God told me one thing. That we are going to tell the world, this is the world. That there is no pit so deep that Jesus is not deeper still. Corey, we will be set free. And then we will come back to Germany and we will open the doors here. We will use this horrible camp, this place where we are living, no windows and people are suffering and beaten up till they die. Corey, we will be set free and we will invite in this place those guards, their hearts, are so sad. Corey, we will tell them about Jesus. And Corey was there and she thought, going back to a concentration camp, that can only be Jesus. That cannot come up in a mind of a person in a concentration camp. And so, both of them, with a vision, got out of that concentration camp. Betsy, to the chimney in Ravensbrück as dust that fell the next day, even on Corey's shoulders. Every day they were standing there with the 
with the dust of the people they had lived with and suffered with. And then Cory was set free by a miracle of God and a blunder of man. And she went to the world and she told her story. And she told the story of God's love. I have here a little book and that is written by Cory ten Boom. Every day she would, would write her messages. This is her handwriting. And I'm going to give it to the chaplain and any person who would love to have a piece of this book cannot take it out. But you can ask someone in the chaplain's office to make a copy for you so that when you are going through hard times in your life, and you will, we are living in a day where we have to make decisions. Bob and I are constantly aware of that. And I read one part. I experienced that every season, Corey said, in my life, it's a preparation of what is coming. And then she writes in 1 Corinthians 8, he will keep you steadfast in the faith to the end. So when this day comes, you need no fear of condemnation. It happened during one of my speaking engagements in 1978 in California. I had hoped to visit again with Corey ten Boom, someone with whom I had worked for and traveled for nine years. And during the 60s and 70s, as it worked out, her secretary had taken up the day and I was invited to come and be alone with Aunt Corey. Bob was taking care of our Peter John, who was a little toddler boy, so that I could give Corey all the time. That evening, the two, she was living in California, were sitting around the table, the dining room table, a spot always special to us in our home in Holland, a place suited for rich conversations between us and with those we loved. But those times were always too short. Now God had given us one more. Before our wedding, Corrie had left Holland for America with Pam, her new traveling companion and secretary. And the two of them lived in California. Corey had been very much a part of our dating time, Bob and myself. Yes, we dated nine months. Can you believe it? It was like the chaplain in the chaplain's office who was not married. And I came to visit that university and um, that's how it all started. But it would be too long a story again. So, that evening she asked questions I didn't expect. I hadn't talked with her really about marriage and dating and all kinds of things. And I had no idea that she didn't know anything about anything about that area in her life. <laughs> because she had never been married, there were aspects of our courtship that puzzled her. Well, I'm not telling you all the stories and all the things you asked me because I would be embarrassed. She wanted to know why I didn't marry right away after Bob fell in love with me. Huh. I couldn't understand what she was saying. It was fun to tell her that falling in love, here, people, with someone was different than enjoying a marriage. 
while sipping tea and enjoying Dutch biscuits that evening, we laughed together and talked about the seriousness of life, that we couldn't waste the time God had given us, and that following Jesus, oh, she would have told me that thousands of times, that it cost my life. Then we read Psalm 103, as we always did on important days. I did not know that Corey would never speak again after our talk. She had a stroke the next, next day. As we always did on important days during the years, we traveled together and we relived that night all our wonderful stories. She had given me a wonderful gift before she had left with Pam for her last trip in Holland. And she left me a beautiful painting that we have taken everywhere with us, even it hang in Callis Village. And in Callis Village, many people would look at the back and it would say, all that you have done for Jesus is never lost, never wasted. She had not forgotten that. Since Tante Cori was born, um, always was very aware of time, I suggested after she asked me, what would you like to have after I go to Jesus? Well, I suggested a little watch. She had many of those. While she agreed, she went on to say, no, not a watch. Uh, then she stopped and picked up a notebook and said, Ellen, I want you to have my father's clock, the one he said for the last time as he left to go to prison with his family. I argued a little, but it was done already in her mind. She stood up, said that she would ask Pam to change her will. I remember sitting there and thinking to myself, what will I do with a clock? It's in Holland. What do I do to bring it to Holland? It's so big. So we stored it with family, very many families in Holland. But then there came a time that my brother said, you need a Keta clock. We have all had it in our homes and it really needs to go, to, it's yours, go. So at my brother's request, Helping Hands Incorporated prepared a large crate it more looks like someone had died when I brought it into Dr. Tennant's house. Prepared a large crate for the clock and shipped it to us in Virginia. That year was the year we retired. And we had time to set the clock and see to it. And lots of repairs were required to get it up and ticking. Providentially, we feel we were led to a 90-year-old Virginia clockmaker, Mr. Rosen from Staunton, who was at that time the clockmaster at Monticello in Thomas uh, Jefferson, home in Charlottesville. He was overwhelmed when he saw the crate and the clock, and even more so when he heard it belonged to Corrie ten Boom. He was familiar with their story and considered his being asked to work on the clock as an invitation from, from God. It would be the last work that Mr. Rosen did before the clock passed on to us. The clock was on display in the Richmond Holocaust Museum for the past years. Now, why in ATS? Some people have asked me that already. Why didn't you leave it there in the Holocaust Museum? So many people these days have never heard of Corrie ten Boom. Even saints will be forgotten. The messages he brought and all over the world is slowly being forgotten as well. ATS is a gate through which many will walk 
and whose central message is one of missions, the dearest to Corrie Ten Boom's heart. The Ten Boom family had their own mission and always generously supported the outreach of the church. The clock is a witness to their faithfulness. We gladly loan it to the seminary for display, but also to tick the time allotted to us to fulfill the mission of the gospel. We know that it will be well taken care of by God's people in Asbury. May he keep you steadfast in the faith. Jesus holds you. Not the strength of your faith, but Jesus himself. God bless you.